It was July 1973, and my family was going to make the long trek to Sudbury, Canada, in the Ontario province. MapQuest shows that the same trip today would take 13 hours and 45 minutes. The total distance from start to finish, 786 miles. My brother and I were very excited because we were coin collectors, and this region had advertised for a huge coin collection. But after the long trip, our expectations were dashed because when we arrived, we realized that on a coal bank in a small building in a small container of glass housed a small collection of coins. And I thought about that. I'm, I'm wondering how many Christians think that's going to be what it is like when you get to heaven. You get there and your expectations are dashed because it just wasn't what you thought it would be. Well, be encouraged. I want to tell you this. Heaven, it won't be boring. Let me go ahead and lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for our series on the communicable attributes of God. And as we wrap up our study, these 14 weeks, minister to each one again today as we recognize who you are and therefore what you want us to be. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. God is eternally glorious. That's our first point. God is eternally glorious. Begin with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Down in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The adjective blessed occurs eight times from the Greek New Testament, only refers to God, seven to the Father, one to Jesus. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, this eternally blessed God does what? He blesses us with every spiritual blessing. So when we look in verses 3 through 6, considering the Father's work of choosing us in Him, in Jesus, notice what the end says here of this section, beginning in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, because glory is our attribute today, to the praise of the glory of His grace. So as Paul contemplates God's work of salvation in our lives, he exclaims to the praise of the glory. He's praising His glory. And then we have the transition to the Son in verses 7 through 12. Verse 7 says, "...in Him we have redemption through His blood." In Jesus uh, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There's this amazing plan that involves you and me to be fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is intimately involved, having laid down his life and taken it back up again. So now as your eyes come down to the end of verse 12, not only for the Father, but to the Son Paul writes, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory of the Father, and now to the Son, 
So where do we have to go from there? To the Holy Spirit, of course, down to verse 13. In him, you also trusted as Jesus after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, the moment you place your faith in Christ, you were sealed. God's mark of ownership upon your life with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment that what he has started, he will complete. But how do we end? To the praise of his glory. So we have an eternally glorious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are all to be praised. God's glory, by the way, rocks or shakes the universe. Psalm 29.3, the God of glory thunders. I like that. In 1715, Louis XIV of France died. Uh, he had called himself the great, a lot of humility. In his arrogance, he made the following statement, I am the state. <laughs> well, for his funeral, it was predetermined that it would be a magnificent funeral. His body would lie in state in a golden casket. The lights were to be dimmed. There would be one candle placed on top of the casket. Thousands were in attendance. And when Bishop Massillon came, he slowly walked over and he snuffed out the candle and he said, only God is great. My friend, only our God is eternally glorious. However, he shares his glory with you and me. And that's our second employment point. God shares his glory with his children. That's a marvelous concept. You know, God is eternally glorious, but he shares his glory with you and me. He does this, by the way, in creation. Genesis 1, 26, God says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And then let man have dominion over the earth is the idea there. We are made in the image of God, the moral, mental, and spiritual image of God. He shares with us and then gives us dominion over the world. Of course, Adam failed, but the second Adam would not, and we'll pick that thought up a little bit later. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, he, speaking of man, is the image and the glory of God. So God shares his glory with us in creation, but then also in recreation. Recreation, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's consider life under the old economy, the Old Testament with Moses, and then under the New Testament dispensation of grace. Verse 7, but if the ministry of death written engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Moses got in the presence of God with the giving of the law, with regular meetings, and his face would shine. 
Well, that glory would fade, but you think about how wonderful it was that Moses just basking in God's presence displayed under that Old Testament economy, the glory of God. Paul says in verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Now let your eyes come down to verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, the idea that we will be fully conformed to the image of God. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Moses didn't want everyone to know that the glory was fading. Apparently, as he was away from God, that glory would start to fade. But notice with you and me, as we close out the chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, but we all, and I love that, it's all of us, all the saints, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are being changed on a daily basis from glory to glory. We have been marked out ahead of time, that's Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The Spirit within is moving us toward that final stage, that final stage. And concerning that, let's um, turn to the book of Romans, please. Romans chapter 8. So, God shares his glory with his children in creation, as we've seen in Genesis 1, 26, in recreation, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but also at his coming, at his coming. Paul writes some marvelous, profound words in verse 18, for I consider, gizomai means to uh, keep a ledger. It's the idea to take a record of, to do the calculation, we might say, for I consider that the sufferings, and that's plural because Paul had many according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where? In us. There's a, a glory that is coming. Creation suffered. God had given us a beautiful world. Verse 19 says, for the earnest expectation of the creation. Uh, we have a personification here. Creation as if it comes to life. Eagerly waits. That term appears seven times from the Greek New Testament, and it shows a strong expectation. Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. Now, technically, the earth had never sinned. Man did. But then the ground was cursed. But thankfully, God has placed within our hearts the Holy Spirit, who yearns for you and me to be fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That same Spirit helps us in our weakness. And now down to verse 28 to tie this all together, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. There's all things that are working together for good. God has a plan. 
And at the end of it all, for you and me, we will be fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We will have a, listen to the term, glorified body. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew. There'll be five key verbs showing the workings of God in salvation from before the foundation of the world to glorification. So whom he foreknew, God knows everything. He knows, he knows, he knows. And I think we just have to bow before him. And at times, even when we don't understand, we go, he knows. He also predestined, marked out ahead of time is your second key verb there, to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Speaking of believers, you and I, God's desire for us is to be fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Down in verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. We refer to this as the effectual call, to call to salvation, another verb. Whom he called, these he also justified. Justified means to be declared righteous. And then notice at the end, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Something very important to share with you here. All five verbs appear as aorist, past point in time. Now, you're looking at me, and if I were to look at you, we might be looking good, but we're not glorified. From God's point of view, it's as good as done. That's why Paul could pen these five key verbs, the linkage concerning salvation in the past tense. Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to get this done. There's no question about that whatsoever. We're as good as glorified. Uh, during his uh, championship years with the Chicago Bulls, let me give you a name. You already know it. Michael Jordan was motivated by many things. One motivation that most people didn't know about was his desire to win a championship for those players that had never gotten the ring and for the coaches who had not had the same experience. In 1997, Frank Hamblin was a new assistant coach to the team. He had been an assistant coach for 25 years on various teams, now age 50. Jordan told writer Melissa Isaacson of the Chicago Tribune, he's been around the league for so long on a lot of teams and made some great contributions. And then not to be on a championship team, that will be my gift to Hamlin. That's part of my motivation. Then in 1997, the Bulls won the championship and Frank Hamlin finally got his ring. Uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ does the same thing for you and me. Consider what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So God shares his glory with us. And then finally, our third 
point to close out our entire series, but specifically on God's attribute of glory. Point number three, glorify God with your life. Glorify God with your life. Our God is eternally glorious. He shares his glory with you and me. So glorify God with your life. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. I know personally for me, many years, I just shied away from preaching this portion of Scripture. And you might ask, why would you do that? Because when you understand this sermon, being a preacher, you grasp that you're nowhere in Jesus's league. <laughs> he is the master teacher. He is the great communicator. I finally, uh, after many years, uh, was led to preach. I preached right through Matthew 5 through 7, the whole gospel of Matthew. And I just marvel at the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So join me, please, in verse 13. Emphatically, uh, we are told, Jesus says, tag your it, in other words, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt would be a preservative necessary uh, to the first century individual. Why? Because you did not have refrigeration as we know it today. It was also something that makes one thirsty. Jesus says to his saints, you're the salt. You're the preservers of the earth. You're also to cause people to be drawn, not to water, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Another emphatic statement in verse 14, tag your it, says the Lord, you are the light of the world. That's significant. Because in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not live or walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus, in one of his great I am statements, points out his deity, that he is the light of the world. What does he do? Tags his followers and says, now you need to be a light. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. This is an aorist imperative, a command, put in the past tense, but the idea is a snapshot. When people take a picture of you and me, as if they would have done with Moses after he had left the presence of the Lord, there should be a light that emanates from us. There should be a light that shines from us. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. May that be you and me by virtue of our good works, and we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. You and I have been saved, and then once we're saved, we are to be dedicated to serving our God through these good works. We are to be zealous 
for good works. We learn from Titus chapter 2. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then if somebody takes a picture of you, your light should be evident within that snapshot. Now over to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle and then within the temple. It was significant. It was a holy place. And within that cube resided the presence of Almighty God in the Holy of Holies. It's the holiest place of all. Today, you and I are the temple of God. He has chosen to place his spirit within you and me that we might show God's holiness, his glory to the world in which we live. That's what has been entrusted to us. As Paul went to Corinth, he was familiar with the temple of Aphrodite. There would be a thousand prostitutes within those walls doing religious duty. That's an abomination to God. Fornication is something that is not to be embraced, but that is to be resisted. So what does Paul write for us? Notice this, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 6. Flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Don't run to it. Don't run to that former temple of yours. Run away from it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual morality sins against his own body. There are grave consequences to sexual sin. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, notice the therefore, do what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are called to bring glory to God by how we live. So let's take a moment now. Let's consider our three points. Number one, informationally speaking, God is eternally glorious. As Isaiah was captivated by the holiness of God, he knew that he had seen the glory of God. So let's take time. Let's meditate upon, let's ponder verses that reflect God's glory to people like you and me, and let us stand in awe. And then after we consider that God is eternally, he's always been this way, glorious, be humbled by the fact that God shares his glory with us, that the Almighty has chosen you and me to share his glory with. We are made in the image of God. That's an amazing thing. So we saw in creation, Genesis 1.26, in recreation, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And what happened? The moment we are 
born again. Well, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 said we're sealed with the spirit of promise. Within you and me resides now God's Holy Spirit. That's the assurance. That's the earnest. That's the down payment that what God has started in our lives, he will complete. And we need to be thankful that he shares his glory with us. So as a result of those two things, we are to glorify God with our life. We are to glorify him. We're, it's all about the glory of God. Whatever we eat or whatever we drink, do all for the glory of God. And we have to dedicate ourselves to God. Paul got saved and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? We see from Acts chapter 9. Romans would say it this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds on a daily basis. Ephesians 4.23 tells us to be renewed. We need to take the word of God. We need to put off the old. We need to put on the new. The psalmist would put it this way, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hid, I have treasured, I have stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Take God's word, truly read it, study it, memorize it, meditate upon it, and then act upon it. When you do these steps, when you consider how glorious God is, when you take a look and think how he shares his glory with you and me, the only conclusion that we can come to, it's our, it's our reasonable conclusion, is that we glorify God with our life. So that's my prayer, that as you go back over the 14 communicable attributes of God, going way back to week one, when we considered God's holiness right up to glory, that we will be individuals that will regularly ponder, meditate upon who our God is. And based upon who he is, now what he expects from us, let's not let him down. Let us be individuals who glorify God with our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the entire series. What a blessing to work through these things. Thank you for the book I could write, The Attributes of God on Fire. I know it's changed my life. So, Lord, I, I pray that we would not just go through this one time, but, Lord, perhaps we would go back through each and every sermon. We would take out the book and read and reread those chapters because this is who you are. Your attributes, your perfections describe your nature. And I pray now as a result of that, we, we would imitate you so we could bring you to glory you're worthy of. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching today's sermon. Uh, there is a book that is the basis for the 14 lessons, Attributes of God on Fire. 
Uh, there are actually 10 other fire books. Or you can learn more about us at comermanorbiblechurch.com. And then I have a foundation, Ken J. Bird Senior Foundation.com. And finally, we have a father and son podcast. We would love to have you join us. God bless you.